do to survive, right? And so it's important to recognize, um, I guess, the, 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 the growing pains and the space that of, of agreement that can be created um, when you're doing this work. So I wonder, you know, when you look at where we are, um, two years after the death of Freddie Gray, all the things that are still going on in this city, Port Covington that sailed through with a billion dollars of our money and didn't benefit one person who's black in this community living in poverty, didn't benefit black businesses, didn't benefit, has more money going in it than for their, for their parks than the entire Bureau of Rec and Parks has for the entire city. Um, $15 an hour shot down, but you have these eight new council people who were elected, most of whom were fairly progressive and seemed to have their eye on the, on the, in, the, in the right way in terms of what kind of city to build. We have a school system now that's facing this gigantic deficit. And our kids are going to have, have been shortchanged. They're going to be shortchanged even more. We don't know what's going to happen with the consent decree. Now that we have a Trumpian White House, Jeff Sessions is the AG, who really doesn't care much about consent decrees. Um, you know, I think about young people who grew up in this. You can have your own analysis of Barack Obama and his presidency, things you liked or didn't like inside his presidency, but symbolically and emotionally, you had eight years of this black family in the White House that spoke to people in ways that aren't viscerally that people they don't even get, and here we are. So, you know, and you are out there about to go back to your full-time organizing, Raleigh, and jump into it to kind of fight for change. You're in the midst of uh, getting your degrees, so you can be a serious, you can be taken more seriously by the quote-unquote establishment out there in in your work with young right. people. No, really, right. I mean, right, 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 right. right, it's right, reality, right. Yeah. reality, yeah, reality, reality bites. Um, so, so where do you all think this takes you? I mean, you are both millennials. You're what, thirty-four? You're twenty-four. Right. So, you know, this is this is going to be a world. So, in in in, in in 20 years, if I'm lucky enough to be here, <laughs> y'all still won't be catching up to me. <laughs> so what do you think we, that you, uh, where does it go? I mean, I'll start off with saying that when I was uh, 14 and I just started organizing, I didn't think we'd be here today, right, in a world in which so many more people have joined this movement, uh, uh, folks I call comrades, folks that are doing this type of work all across Baltimore City and the country at large, right? So that is, like, the good thing. Um, the bad thing is, and this is kind of cold, is, like, Change doesn't happen overnight, right? Um, yep. Structures, institutions for communities like owned by us and things for us isn't built overnight, right? Like we have, we don't have resources, we don't have the helping hand. So it, this takes time. Um, you mentioned the the, the new city council. Um, they seem pretty progressive. Uh, I think it's really important that we stay engaged and keep our eyes on them, and we also plan the next stage of how do we gain more control, right? Because you try to you try to take over the city council or folks put in progressive folks, but there's still uh, pockets of resistance. There's still a mayor who isn't uh, the community advocate she proclaimed herself to be. Um, and so you have to you have to plan ahead. It's like, all right, we tried this thing. Now how do we adapt our strategy, right? Like how do we collectively build towards something great? And unfortunately, elections happen every four years. Cool. We have to start planning for that. We know that there's an election coming up next year. These are the things we have to plan for if we're going to try to affect things at that level. Um, and even when you're talking about building organizations, it just takes time to gather resources. Block wasn't built overnight. Um, 
it, it seems like it to some people, but we're still a really young organization. We're still building our institution and still figuring out who we want to be and how we want to engage with people. And so I think it's really important to just uh, have some patience, even I, even though I understand, like, for reality, for some people, it's, it's, it's like, you know, the end of the world right now. Um, unfortunately, we we just don't have enough to, to take care of everybody right now. There is enough. We just don't have it. I mean, I, I think it goes to the point that, you know, uh, Valik made in the beginning of our conversation that uh, past two years, uh, the community had their awakening, uh, so to speak. Um, folks are more engaged. Folks are hungry for change. Um, the system, the establishment is doing what it does, what it always has done, you know, long before, you know, Relique and I were here. Um, it's business as usual uh, for them. I think now they are being met with a new challenge, um, and that is folks in, in Baltimore saying we had enough, we're, we're not going to stand for this anymore. Um, the, the country at large is at a point where we've been here before. We're fighting for the soul of our country, the identity. What is it going to be and where are we going and why? Um, and I think we're at an interesting time, Malik, where we get to decide the soul of this country, um, the identity. You know, what is it going to be like for the next 20 years? Um, Mark, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Port Covington, um, which I think the past two years was the biggest blow this city has received. Um, we don't fully understand it. But essentially, <laughs> it was the the, uh, the continuation of segregation in Baltimore as mm -hmm. we know it. Mm -hmm. um, Relik mm -hmm. and I are going to see it firsthand. We, we didn't see it when it happened 50, uh, 60, 70 years ago in Baltimore City. Um, but Relik and I are about to witness segregation uh, being created and being pushed um, uh, to a new scale in Baltimore. We saw a, like a, a speck of it with Harbor East, but we're about to see it to its full extent. Um, and that is a, that's an eye opener for both of us. You know, I have I have families, I have youth I work with that lives five minutes from Port Covington, um, where they're gonna you know come outside their house and they're gonna watch new developments being built as their communities decay. You know, what what does that mean uh, for them? Um, so you know, put it in that context, um, that's our monster that we, we have to continue to face. We have to pick up the work that, that, that others were doing prior to us. Um, and, and, and as you said, patience is, is a tough word to give people, but it's required. Um, it's a time to reflect, the time to study, the time to build, and we have to be patient um, and, and continue to be vigilant um, of, of our public officials because they're, they're going to continue to do what they do. Um, but as I see it in the past two years, that is that the system itself has not changed um, at all. Um, the system itself just have new opposition, that new opposition being us. I would agree. I, I'd say there might be some chinks in the armor um, <laughs> because we've tried new formations that they not necessarily weren't ready to expect or organizing in new ways. Mm. Um, and my friends down with Dream Defenders in Florida have a shirt uh, that says, I've been to the future we already won. And I really like that shirt because <laughs> it, it plays on, uh, I think I like the, that. the optimism and the hope I have as an organizer why I continue to get up every day and do this mm. is that at some point we will win, right? Yeah, right. And so it, it's little, like, I know it, it looks bleak. And like when we sit and really talk about it, you can get really depressed. Mm. But 
there have been small victories, right? Like the fact is, is that people are engaged. Absolutely. That is that is a thing that I didn't think I would see. Like I remember when I was in high school and I told my friends that I was an organizer and they laugh at me, right? And be like, I don't want to do that. Now it's like, yo, you my mans. I'm happy that you do this. How can I support you? What do you need, right? Like those are the, that change like really hits me personally because it's like these are people I grew up with, right? That now rely on me to help them, right? In a way that they didn't take seriously four or five years ago. So, so you know, I, I'm coming back to where we almost began a little bit. The, the, I think about these two issues that really are glaring because they're so intense and they <coughs> form the face of everything, even though they're not everything. By that I mean, I'm talking about when you look at the the beyond when, when No Boundaries put out their report, mm -hmm. which I thought was a very powerful report that they wrote where they interviewed over 500 residents in West Baltimore in several different communities. And what stuck out of me in the report was the reality of not just physical abuse by police officers, which wasn't what took up the most of the report. Most of it was taken up by the verbal abuse, the disrespect, the fear people have of the police. That to me was powerful. Um, for people to read and understand, I would hope more people would read that report which you can find on steinershow.org. We keep it there. Um, <clears throat> the other part is that murders and shootings in the poorest communities in Baltimore are off the hook. I mean, they're happening almost daily. Shootings are happening daily. Murders almost daily. Um, and so people cry for more police money as the answer to what this is about. And and some people are saying no. There's there's got to be there's a different answer. So I mean I want to connect these two things. I want to connect this police system we have with the murders and violence taking place that are traumatic for the people who have to live in communities where it is taking place. And how we respond to that, you know, I mean how we begin to talk about those two things that are not disconnected in ways that connect them in terms of how you change what's going on what has to be said, what has to be done. So, um, Councilman Dorsey wrote a blog, I think, for... Ryan Dorsey. Ryan Dorsey. Third District, yeah. Um, wrote a blog for City Paper, um, talking about... A few weeks ago, he was on the show right yeah, after he did that, right? Uh, talking right. about that, right? Uh, talking about uh, public safety in his district, right? And, Mark, as you know, I talk about how do you view public safety? What is public safety, right? And I think we have to stop looking at it as police presence, because as the research has shown... Um, I think uh, Jamie Miller from WBAL yeah. TV. Uh, she was tweeting something. This was weeks ago, back when the first the deficits came to light about uh, the school system, about money uh, spending on police and how we spent money on police in the last ten years, right? And we've increased money on uh, police spending, but safety has not gotten better, right? Um, and that you know that was again that was around the idea of taking money from the police budget to put it in education. I'm a big fan of that idea, right? I'm a humongous fan of that idea. Uh, defund police. I'm always down for that. Um, but what are the things that make communities safe, right? Like why is Councilman Dorsey's uh, district safe, right? Why? Because the district that he says is a majority African American, mm -hmm. right? It is because people have things, right? Like people have jobs, people have education, people have cars, people can get to the things that they need and they typically don't have any want for anything besides maybe a bigger house or a better car and those are the basic material things. But people aren't struggling for basic survival needs. They aren't struggling for food, shelter, clothing, right? 
Like, they, they aren't struggling for those things. And that makes a really big difference in what the livelihood of your community looks like, right? Like, they aren't struggling. I'm pretty sure most of those parents are actually engaged with their kids in their schools or as engaged as they can be based on the, the way work and, you know, uh, depending on what you do. But they're probably way more engaged than the folks that are living in some of the poorest communities because those folks are working the, the jobs that this minimum wage bill could really help, right? They're the ones working overtime. Um, I hope to share with Mark really soon. One of uh, my comrades, Kat Engelman, published something, or will publish something um, about her experience as a, a organizer in Baltimore, now in Philly, um, and going through Morgan, and you know, as an architect major, right? Like what that feels like to be struggling for something, struggling to live while fighting for other people's right to exist, right? Um, it, it's really hard. Like people in my neighborhood really do die, like almost every day. Um, so how do we, you know, just reimagine that world? How do we reimagine giving people the things they need or making sure they have access to them, right? Instead of just paying police officers who are making 100K plus, right? Like the, the officers that were doing the smuggling ring or whatever, making hundreds of thousands of dollars of our money that could have easily paid teacher salaries, paid for counselors in schools, numerous of things that we need. Right. When when I, when I even with you know doing work around community violence and uh, speaking to folks you know using young blood as 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 a, a platform of means to have conversations in different communities about community violence, it it's still the hardest issue uh, for me to wrap my head around in terms of solutions. Um, everything makes sense. Yeah, bail reform makes sense. Uh, fight for 15 makes sense. Port Covington, all that stuff makes sense to me on how to boom. We need to do this, do step one, step two, step three, and this is how we combat it. But when it comes to community violence, it's so many parts to it um, that it, it's hard for me to wrap my head around and say, we do this, just this one thing, and everything is going to be all right. Um, I believe we can give the school system, which I would love, uh, half or 80% of the police budget. Um, and I honestly don't think that would be enough. Um, when you think about all the work that needs to be done, just in terms of, that's, that's just put resources and opportunity on hold for a, a minute, even though that's a big part of it. Um, if we just focus on how do we begin healing people? How do we begin supporting people? How do we begin to be strong forces um, um, of, of support that uplift people in, in, in communities? Um, and, and, and it's something, as a person that works with and youth programming, I don't think that youth programming is enough. Um, going inside these homes and, and having some real hard conversations um, um, about what they're experiencing um, uh, uh, in terms of the day-to-day -day trauma, um, not just with living in those communities, but we talking about what's going on in that, within their family, you know, familial issues, um, uh, uh, differences between family members, um, and how folks uh, navigate those disagreements how folks um, within their family and then how they um, navigate disagreements uh, uh, with members in the community. 
um, doing the work with 300, we had the opportunity to connect with brothers out on the street um, and, 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 and get out of, put off our hats of, and our labels of, I'm executive such and such, I do program such and such, and just connect with them in a real sense, in a real way. Um, the pain is tangible. Um, and, and that type of pain, that type of despair, it's going to take more than, hey, bring your son down to my program. We're going to get him right. And, you know, I could teach all the conflict resolution workshops and, and, and until I drop, um, until we start to resolve some of that pain that we are in our communities are feeling. I, I'm not sure if we, we'll get to where we want to go to as far as reducing community violence. When we were, when we were shooting um, the follow-up to Libyan Blood, Free Young Blood, um, something that stuck out to me um, was when we interviewed uh, two subjects, uh, Lydell Henry, uh, we also interviewed Keith Figgs. Um, both came from Sandtown, Winchester. They went two different directions in their lives, um, even though they came from uh, similar households, similar families, dealing with um, several issues. Um, both of them admitted at different points in their life they wanted to commit suicide. And, and that stuck out to me because I'm like, well, if you have these two brothers walking around this neighborhood um, that came from the families, they came from the background, the hardships they came from, walking around willing to take their own lives, um, how many are like that feel that way throughout this neighborhood, throughout this city? Because um, if you're willing to take your own life, if you don't value your own life, you're certainly not going to value mine. And, and I, I just don't, I'm not confident that a program I can come up with or uh, uh, a change in budget we can make that can effectively address that type of uh, mindset, that type of feeling, that type of uh, being. I mean, you raised earlier, well, you raised earlier, Bobby, about Port Covington, and, and kind of take it back to what you're saying, Raleigh. I mean, nothing changes over overnight, but to have forced, let's say, Port Covington to say whatever the number is, pick a number, X number of units in that community will go to poor people, poor working people in the city to live, working class people, middle class people, not just upper middle class people, that X number of businesses will be black-owned businesses in Port Covington, that X number of jobs will be black men and women who are constructing these sites that people have a stake in this, a percentage stake, and money comes back. If we invest a billion dollars in you, something has to come back to the city in terms of the poorest in this community. Taking money out of the police department, funding for that, and putting money in the school system budget or other places you want to put it. Those won't change things overnight, but those, to me, are the tangible things you fight for that make the long-term change. I agree. I'd also say... Um, and so this is like my dream reality type thought. And this is it was a late night conversation with a friend of mine who had been out of town for uh, about five years, came back to town recently, saw Baltimore, was like, what the hell happened? Um, uh, what would it look like if we had a mayor and a government, right, that really put the priority of healing the wound on, on, the, on the people on the fringes, right? Like, because that wound is a generational old trauma. Right, like, what would it look like if we cannibalize two thirds of the police budget, which is, by rough calculations, like forty percent of the city's overall budget, right? Because the police budget is like fifty three percent of the budget, something crazy like that. 
um, and started hiring reams of community activists that are already out there, social workers, counselors, and like really went into individual neighborhoods one by one and surveyed them and tried to figure out how to support people, right? While at the same time, uh, almost, uh, you know, Great Depression style work programs, like how do we like put people to work in sustainable work, right? Not just like this little project that's gonna feed you for three months, but how do we put you in something that's gonna teach you some skills where you can right. legitimately do work in this city? That would be my dream. Um, for that to happen, obviously, we have to take over the entire government. So, hey, folks, let's try to take over the government. <laughs> um, but, like, those are the kind of, like, dreams that we could try to put into reality if we actually had complete control or, like, folks in government, more folks in government, to a point where we had a majority that we own or we had just community control of just general resources. Like, if the community, like, if the government or we just got a pot of money and was like, this is ours and we can do this giving people the ability to dream to figure out solutions within their own communities, I think is the best way to kind of, with some, there is some professional support needed, right? Like, because I think all black folks should go through counseling, particularly poor black folks, because to being black is traumatizing, right? Like, there have been times in the last two years where I've woke up and so many black people have been killed that day that I didn't want to go to work. I wanted to call out black. Like, I didn't want to deal with the world, right? And so, like, that's a real thing. That's a real trauma that I had, so... We only have a couple minutes left here. Uh, this has been really great having two of you here this hour um, just to talk about reflecting on these last two years and where we have to go. So uh, I don't, would either one of yourselves, would either one of you call yourselves optimists? Oh, absolutely. We, we didn't. We I'm didn't just curious. What would you? What, would yeah, you? I'm absolutely. definitely optimist. We have a yeah? choice. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have a choice. See, to be an optimist would be depressed all the time. That's, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Optimist. I mean, I mean, just just putting it in perspective. I mean, I, I hope you know, Raleigh and I didn't discuss the pathology of Baltimore. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. I didn't mean. I didn't uh, mean. I wasn't. That wasn't a challenge. Right. 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 I was just trying to close with kind of. Right. 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 I, right. 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 I, I, I think we, Raleigh doesn't have a choice but to be optimistic in his work um, uh, with community organizing and pushing against a system that, that tells him no on a daily basis, tell him and his comrades no, tell the city of Baltimore no on a daily basis. The brother doesn't have a choice uh, but to be optimistic. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I myself, you know, in working with youth and families, I don't have a choice but to be optimistic. I'm relying on folks like Raleigh and others, um, uh, to do their part. I need him to be strong. You have um, the last minute. Yeah. The last 30 seconds. Um, I think we're pragmatic, you know, optimists and idealists at heart, right? Like, I think that we firmly believe that a new world is possible, and, you know, we're practitioners in a world that does not yet exist. So every day that I connect with a new person and, you know, we build community, we, we, we are creating that, and that, that's what gives me hope, right? That, that's what feeds me. Willie Case is organizer with the Be More Block by Bill Marvin Holmes, founder of Son of a Dream. Uh, it's good to have you both in the house here today. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Really good to have you both in the house. This was a good conversation. Yeah. And as we go out today, I want to remind you all to please join me tonight, tonight at the People's Climate March conversation that we are having at the 2640 space. That's 2640 St. Paul. Fired up and ready to go is the name of the is, is the name of the evening. Fired up and ready to go. People involved in environmental justice will be joining us uh, for a film and a panel discussion. Uh, Destiny Watford from uh, Curtis Bay will be there. She uh, is a young woman in our community who won the biggest prize uh, that you can win in environmental justice, the Goldman Prize. Uh, she won that for North America. She'll be there with Delegate Robin Lewis. Uh, Tamara Tolls O'Laughlin, 
uh, from Environmental Health Network, Tom Horton. So join us for this. It's going to be a great discussion. Just show up th- that night. We're going to be starting at 6 o'clock, and just it'll be a good evening. So join us tonight at 2640 uh, as we uh, kick it off uh, with communities of color fighting for climate change and justice in this society. We'll be, and uh, on that note, I want to thank both my guests once again for joining us here uh, on the program. It's good to have you both with us. Thanks, Mark. Thanks.